0: have a Bible, I want to invite you to go to Luke chapter 1. Uh, we're actually going to be looking at a whole lot of scripture today, but we'll spend most of our time in Luke 1 I do want to say again, if you're a guest, welcome. My name is Jared. I'm one of the pastors here. And on behalf of the members and uh, the pastors, we're glad you could be with us today. Um, If you want more information about us as a church, go to crossingparagle.com. You can learn about us that way. Or if you want a personal call or touch, um, you can click on the connect link. If you're online, fill out some information about yourself or grab that connect card that Adam talked about earlier, fill that out, leave it in your seat. That'll be a way for us to know you're here and to love you and serve you to the best of our ability Um, we are excited today to be kicking off a series we've entitled ghost stories and the idea behind this series is pretty simple Um, as a church we are really committed to raising up men and women who are resilient disciples Uh, men and women who can not only survive but thrive in the midst of the extreme and harsh conditions that we find ourselves living in today and what we believe is that in order for us to be resilient disciples of jesus we must live empowered by the holy Spirit or in the words of uh, or the language of the King James Bible the Holy Ghost and so our plan is uh, over the next eight weeks or so uh, just really to dive in uh, to a study of the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And today is really just going to be an introduction, uh, kind of an overview. Uh, next week we'll talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, then the fruit of the Spirit, uh, then we'll get into the gifts of the Spirit. So we're going to talk about things like speaking in tongues, uh, prophecy, healing, uh, casting out demons, and all of that fun stuff. And so um, I just want to say this, before we dive into it, I know that we have people in the room and online who are all over the map on this um, some of you, I know when you hear the Holy Spirit, you immediately break out in hives. And so, uh, like because of maybe abuses from the past, uh, in the name of the Spirit or because you saw some guy on TBN who is doing some really weird and confusing stuff in the name of the Spirit. Uh, for you, when you think of the Holy Spirit, you think of like Jojo the circus monkey, um, or like, you know, like crazy uh, cousin Eddie, right? It's like, I know he's a part of the family, but I really don't want him to get too close to me. Uh, but then there are others in here that I know you're like, finally, like the Holy Spirit series, like the crossing is becoming charismatic. Like, this is great. Like, I can pull out my shofar and my tambourine and start running down the aisles, right? It's like, can't wait, Um and then there are others in here, and I guess, like, this is probably the majority of us in here who just really don't know a whole lot about the Holy Spirit. And so, maybe you're somewhat like me. I, I grew up Southern Baptist. I went to THE Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. And so the joke was, and it's not much of a joke, but it was a joke, is that the Trinity is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible. And so my guess is that for you, you're like, you know, I really don't care what you preach on. As long as you're preaching from the Bible, it doesn't make any difference to me. And I just want to say like wherever you are on this spectrum, whether you are excited about this, cautious or neutral, my guess is you are thirsty for more. Uh, You're thirsty for more joy. Uh, You're thirsty for more love. You're thirsty uh, for more power and peace. You're thirsty for more to the Christian life than what you are currently experiencing. And if that is where you are, in the words of John Stott, what we need is not more learning, not more eloquence, not more persuasion, not more organization, but more power from the Holy Spirit. And he's not alone in this. Uh, Billy Graham, who many of you know, is one of the most famous and, and one of the greatest evangelists of all time, who probably had a better insight into the church than anyone else. He said the following. This is like 50 years ago he said this. Everywhere I go, I find that God's people are lacking something. They are hungry for something. Their Christian experience is not at all what they expected, and they often have reoccurring defeat in their lives. Christians today are hungry for spiritual fulfillment. He goes on to say, The most desperate need of the nation today is that men and women who profess Jesus be filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, This is why in the words of A.W. Tozer, Satan has opposed the doctrine of the spirit-filled life about as bitterly as any doctrine there is. He has confused it, opposed it, and surrounded it with false notions and fears. He has blocked every effort of the church to receive what is now theirs in Christ. The church has tragically, tragically neglected this great liberating truth that is there—that—that that there is now for the child of God a full and wonderful and completely satisfying anointing with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit-filled life is not special deluxe edition of the Christianity. It is part and parcel of the total plan of God for His people. So, with that being said, um, let's just dive into the Scripture and let's rediscover what God says on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And to kick off, I hope this will be fun. Uh, let's start with a little Bible trivia, okay? And you can answer out loud. Where in the Bible do we first see the Holy Spirit mentioned? Genesis. Genesis. Very good. Genesis chapter 1. And let's just read it together, starting in verse one. So the very first verse in the Bible is this in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Then verse two Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the who, the Spirit of God, was hovering over the waters. So right there on page one, right, hovering like a bird over this unformed mass, the Holy Spirit, what is he doing? He's doing what he always does. He takes chaos and he's creating order. He is hovering over an unformed mass and transforming it into something beautiful. Now, here's the deal. Throughout the rest of the Old Testament, uh, we see the Spirit pop in and pop out. Uh, The the Spirit, uh, he, he would come on a prophet or a priest or a king or a judge and he'd do something really cool, like empower Samson to kill a thousand bad guys with the jawbone of a donkey. Like That's pretty cool, right? And then he'd move right back into... The shadows, and this is because um, concerning the Spirit, the Old Testament is what scholars refer to as the age of visitation. In other words, it was a time where the Spirit, he would come, he'd land on somebody, and then he would go. He would land, he'd come, and he would go. He would come, and then he would go. Um, and this would happen, this is the way the Spirit would relate to people all through the Old Testament. This is why King David would say things like this, Psalm 51, verse 11. Do not cast me out of your presence, God, or take your Holy Spirit from me. Why would David ever pray something like that? Because, again, the Old Testament was the age of visitation. The Spirit would come and go, come and go, come and go. And this is the way it went, all the way from Genesis down through Malachi. But here's the deal. In this age of visitation, God would raise up prophets, and the prophets would begin to prophesy about and talk about a day when the age of visitation would be replaced with the age of habitation. And so there's coming a day where God is going to send his anointed servant, his Messiah, who would come and pour out his spirit, listen, not temporarily on prophets, priests, kings, and judges, but would permanently pour out his spirit on people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And there are a lot of verses we could look at that talks about this. Here's just one. This is from Job chapter 2, verse 28 and 29, which actually Peter would reference on the day of Pentecost in his sermon. But here's what God says to the prophet Joe. I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit on, in those days. So again, notice there's coming a day we not just for the elite, but all people will be able to have the spirit poured out on them, which means all people, no matter who you are, will be able to hear from God. You'll be able to talk to God, be able to walk with God, be filled with the very presence of God. And when this happens, listen to this. Here's what's really cool. When you receive the Holy Spirit, you receive a whole new heart. So listen to what the prophet Ezekiel says. This is Ezekiel 36. God speaking through Ezekiel says, verse 26, I will give you a new spirit. Uh, Or I'll give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you a heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. And so unlike others in the Old Testament who could not obey God even if they wanted to... In the New Testament, right, he says there's going to come a day, the age of habitation, where you can receive the Spirit and with the Spirit a whole new heart. And when you get this new heart, what's going to happen? You're actually going to have the desires and the ability to walk in the ways of God and therefore experience the life that he's created us to experience. Okay, so this is the promise That keeps on, you know, reoccurring through the prophets. This is the message that is coming. And so for hundreds of years, God's people is waiting for this promise to be fulfilled. For the age of habitation to replace the age of visitation. And so for hundreds of years, right, they're anticipating this. And then we come to the New Testament. And in Luke chapter 1, hopefully you're there. um, We find this old couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth. They can't have kids. But then one day an angel comes to Zechariah and says, "Uh, you're going to have a son. And his name is going to be John. And then listen what he says. This is in chapter 1, verse 15. Read it with me. It says, This son will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. Like, how rad is that? Like, in the womb, John is going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then if you keep reading in Luke 1, this son, right, John, is going to grow. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, he is going to prepare the way for the promised Messiah. And then if you skip down to chapter 1, verse 31, look with me. An angel then appears to Mary. And this is where it gets really cool. Because in Luke chapter 1, verse 31, the angel says to Mary, You will conceive, and you'll give birth to a son, and you're to call him Jesus. And he'll be great and be called the Son of the Most High. To which Mary says, How is this going to happen? Like, I'm a virgin? And here's how the angel responds. The Holy Spirit. Verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One will be born and will be called the Son of God. And Matthew's account of this, he's even more direct, he says this in Matthew chapter 1 verse 18, we can't put it on the screen for you, I just added it this morning, but Matthew 1 18, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about, his mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, in other words, before they had sex she was found to be pregnant through who? The Holy Spirit. Now here's what I want you to get. Unlike John the Baptist, Jesus isn't just filled with the Spirit. His very being is contributed and formed, conceived by the Holy Spirit. So the very reason that Jesus becomes flesh and blood and bone is because of the Spirit. Just as we see in Genesis 1, the Spirit is hovering over this unformed mass and brings about this new creation. We see in here the Holy Spirit in Luke chapter 1 hovering over Mary and then putting flesh, blood, and bone on Jesus. He fuses everything together in Mary so that Jesus can be born into this world. Not just as fully God, but as fully human. And it's important that we get that today because, listen, this is the major role of the Holy Spirit. Or one of the major roles of the Holy Spirit. What the Holy Spirit loves to do is take chaos and create order. So if your life feels chaotic, you need the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit loves to go over an unformed mass and, and take something that really doesn't look like much. There's Mary, who's a, a virgin, and bam, like bring new life. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He regenerates. Literally, when you receive the Spirit, Jesus would say it is, you literally are reborn. There's a new life that comes about. Okay, and we'll talk more about that, by the way, in the weeks to come. But for now, the main thing I want you to get is this. Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, is born of the Holy Spirit. And for the rest of Jesus' life on earth, he is very careful to make sure that everything he does, he does in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, flip with me over to Luke chapter 3. Go to Luke chapter 3. Jesus is about to begin his public ministry. He comes to his cousin, John, to be baptized. Everyone is gathered around John. And I want you to look what happens. Luke chapter 3, verse 15. The people were waiting expectantly and were all warning in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them, verse 16. I baptize you with water. And by the way, the word baptize there literally means to go all the way under. All the way under the water. That's why we baptize the way we baptize. I baptize you with water... But one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with who? With the Holy Spirit and fire. So people come to John. John, are you the Messiah? Are you the long-awaited, anointed one that we have been waiting for for hundreds of years? And he says, no, I only baptize you with water, but there's one who is coming who will baptize you with the Spirit. He will take you all the way under. He will immerse you completely in the empowering presence of God. And then immediately after this, Jesus comes to John and says, John, will you baptize me? And John kind of reluctantly decides to do so. He baptizes Jesus, and then skip down to verse 22. Here's what happens. Jesus comes out of the water, and it says the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. By the way, notice it doesn't say the Holy Spirit is a dove. Uh, this is very important, because I hear it all the time in the church. People will pray for the Holy Spirit to move, and they'll say, it, 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 it. I pray that it comes, it fills me, that it. The Holy Spirit is not an It. Get it out of your language. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is not a dove. The Holy Spirit is not a force like in Star Wars. The Holy Spirit is a he. Go read John 16. Jesus always referred to the Spirit as he. He is just as much God as God the Father and God the Son. So when the Spirit descends on Jesus, He doesn't. he's not a dove. He just descends on him in bodily form like a dove. And then whenever Jesus receives the Spirit, look what happens. A voice comes from heaven and says, You are my Son, whom I love with you, I am well pleased. This is very important. When you receive the Holy Spirit, how do you know that you've received the Holy Spirit? You receive an affirmation of intimacy and authority. You receive intimacy and authority. That's what Jesus receives here. This is my son. It's a lot of authority when the creator of the universe says, that's my boy. And it's a lot of intimacy. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. Adam will talk about in a few weeks how that's one of the roles of the Holy Spirit, to pour out in us the love of the Father to remind us that we are loved. We are dearly beloved son or dearly beloved daughter. Jesus is baptized. He receives affirmation and intimacy. And then look look what happens after this. Go to Luke chapter 4. Luke 4 verse 1. Again, Luke, guys, this is very important, Luke always wants to make sure that you know that Jesus did what he did in the power of the Holy Spirit. So let me ask you a question real fast, guys. How did Jesus do what he did? In the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you again, how did Jesus do the things that he did in the New Testament? In the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not just because, well, he's just God. He emptied himself of his Godlike power, says in Philippians chapter 2. So here we go, Luke chapter 4. He just gets baptized, the Spirit comes on him, and listen to the language Luke uses here. Luke 4 verse 1. And then Jesus, full of who? The Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. Notice the Holy Spirit doesn't tempt Jesus. He leads him into the wilderness, and the devil tempts Jesus. So he's there for 40 days, and it says he ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry, which I imagine so. Um, why do you think Luke included that little detail that he's in the wilderness and he didn't need anything? You know why I believe he did? Because he wants you to know that at this point in Jesus's life, he has purposely reduced himself to nothing. He has emptied himself of his divine rights, Philippians 2. He has now emptied himself of his human strength. And so he has nothing to depend on except for the power of the Holy Spirit, which by the way, is how Jesus resisted temptation in the wilderness. That's very important you understand. A lot of times in our western world, here's what people will tell you, the way that Jesus uh the way that Jesus resisted temptation in Luke 4 is because he knew the Bible really well. There was somebody else who quoted scripture in Luke 4. Who was it? Satan. He's not real. He doesn't do real good at resisting temptation. Okay? The Pharisees knew the Bible really well. The Pharisees were filled with sin. The Bible is very important I'm teaching the Bible right now, okay? so don't misread me. It's very important. that We know the Bible, we memorize it, we meditate on it, we chew on it. But this alone will not keep you from sin. You need to learn how to live a life full of and empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's how Jesus was able to avoid sin. So Satan throws whatever he can trying to tempt Jesus. Jesus resists the temptation. And because the Holy Spirit is not grieved, look what happens next. Uh, Luke 4, verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of who? The Holy Spirit. So if you ever ask the question, what does a man fully empowered by the Holy Spirit look like? Well, we're about to see. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Spirit, verse 16, goes in Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and a scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, unrolling it. He found the place where it is written. So he walks into the synagogue. Someone's like, hey, Jesus, read this. He's like, all right. He opens it up, and here's the place that he begins to read. This is a a prophecy from Isaiah about the day when God's going to send his anointed one. Here's what he reads, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery the sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Verse 20, then he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying, today the scriptures are fulfilled in your hearing. How bad is that? I mean, you just imagine this moment. You're sitting there, it's like this right here, we're hanging out, and walks Jesus. Hey Jesus, hey welcome, yeah, guys, good to see y'all. Right? He walks, hey Jesus, will you read this? Hey, will you read this scroll? Yeah, sure, I'll read it. He looks at it, he starts reading it. Yeah, that's talking about me. He hands it back to the attendant and sits down, like, God bless y'all. Right? You imagine, that's just awesome. He's like, yeah, that, that, this is talking about me. Like, I am the anointed one you have been waiting for. Like I am, all that stuff he says that I just read, yeah, that's what I'm going to be doing in the next three years of my ministry through the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to be proclaiming the kingdom of God and breaking the kingdom. Heaven is going to come to earth again through my ministry. I'm going to be healing people spiritually and physically, casting out demons, freeing people from their bondage and slavery. I'm going to do all of that in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he hands the scroll back and sets down. This is so awesome. It's such a great move. And you see how crazy this moment is. Simon Ponsonby, who is an Oxford scholar, says this. The Holy Spirit, talking about this moment, the Holy Spirit orchestrates the event where the Spirit-inspired Scripture, Isaiah, is brought to the Spirit-filled Jesus who reads a Spirit-filled ministry that ushers in the eschatological age of the Spirit. You see how crazy this is? Like, are y'all with me? Like, I know I'm, I'm throwing a lot at you. Are you with me on this? Like The Holy Spirit is setting all of this up. The Spirit is at Jesus' birth. He's at the baptism. He's in the wilderness. And then if you read the Gospel of Luke, what we see is the Spirit over and over is empowering Jesus to do all of the really amazing stuff that he did in order to break the kingdom of God into this present world. And so here's what I want to ask you. Don't answer this out loud. This is for you personally. If you had to choose between Jesus living with you physically or the Holy, or having the Holy Spirit in you, which one would you choose? Now, I, I'm guessing that for the majority of us, we would say, oh, I would choose having Jesus physically with me. And that is because, in the words of Madonna, we are living in a material world. Right? Anybody remember this? Material girl in a material world? We're living in a world, all of us, where we want to be able to touch and see and taste and feel things right here and right now. And if we can't really do that, then we don't really want to be a part of it. And so I think if we would be honest, we would say, yeah, I would rather have physical Jesus than immaterial spirit. But here's the thing. Jesus wouldn't say that. In fact, if Jesus was physically here right now, you know what he would say? He would say, it's better for you to have the spirit than for me to remain here in the flesh. You're like, well, how do you know that? Well, because it's in the Bible. In John chapter 16, we find Jesus' disciples and they are filled with grief. They are sad because Jesus has just said, I am going to physically leave you. And if you had been with Jesus for three years, you'd be sad too. Because if Jesus is about to leave, after all the cool stuff you've seen him do, you're like, wow, okay, this is a major disadvantage. I mean, if Jesus leaves, right, without Jesus with you, who's going to raise the dead? Without Jesus with you, who's going to heal the sick? Without Jesus with you, who's going to cast out demons? Who's going to usher in the kingdom of God and show people what God is like? So the disciples they're thinking about all of these things, and they're like, "Man, like, like, like Jesus, you can't leave because if you physically leave, all will be lost. Like all this ministry you started, like it's going to fall apart." To which Jesus responds in this way: This is John sixteen verse seven. I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. Why? For if I do not go away, the helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go away, I'll send him to you. Disciples, Jesus, you can't leave. Jesus, it's actually better for you that I leave. It's to your advantage that I leave because when I do, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what Jesus does. He goes on. He lives a perfect sinless life. We could never live. He goes to the cross and he dies and shed the blood for the forgiveness of our sins. And by the way, before Jesus dies, the Bible says he gives up his spirit. He then goes to the grave. And three days later, Jesus raises from the dead. And by the way, who raises Jesus from the dead? The Holy Spirit, according to Romans chapter 8, verse 11. How crazy is it to think that if you are a disciple of Jesus, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is inside of you right now. That's pretty incredible. Holy Spirit raises Jesus from the dead, and then after getting up out of the grave, he goes to his disciples, and here's what happens. Look at me in Acts chapter 1. Flip with me to Acts 1. Started in verse 4. Acts chapter 1, verse 4. I told you we're going to look at a lot of Scripture today. But I just want to make sure, especially on a topic like this, that you don't think I'm just, like, coming with my opinions. Acts chapter 1, verse 4. On one occasion, while Jesus was eating with his disciples, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. What gift is he talking about? Verse 5. For John baptized you with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 6, they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? To which, verse 7, Jesus dodges that question. He's like, I don't want to answer that. Verse 8. But you will receive power. The Greek word there is dunamos. It's where we get our English word dynamite. You will receive a dynamite type power. When what? When the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to all of the ends of of the earth. So Jesus says, Hey, I'm about to leave, but when I leave, something awesome's gonna happen. I'm gonna send you my spirit and he's gonna give you a power like you've never known before, and you're gonna walk in this power, and when you do, people are gonna look at your life and be like, okay, yeah, Jesus clearly got out of the grave. And he lives inside of these people. Like that's what's gonna happen, he says. And so Jesus ascends, goes to heaven, and then look with me last kind of big chunk of scripture we'll look at, Acts chapter two, verse one. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed. So at one point, people were amazed at the Spirit's work in Jesus. Now people are looking and they're amazed at the Spirit's work in the disciples. Think about that. Utterly amazed, they asked, "Aren't aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each one of us hears them in our native language. And there's a whole bunch of words I can't pronounce, so we'll go on to verse 12. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. you understand what's happening here? This literally is the undoing of what happened at the Tower of Babel. Are you familiar with the story of the Tower of Babel in the Old Testament? What happens in the Tower of Babel is people decide we're going to get to heaven in our own power, under our own spirit. We're going to use our own work and our own technology and our own efforts to reach heaven. And what happens? God confuses their languages. And they everything goes haywire and chaotic, and then they're spread and they're all throughout and they're scattered throughout the world. But here it's a complete reversal of Babel. People are not working their way to heaven, heaven is coming down. Uh, the languages aren't being confused. All of them actually are unified in the Spirit and speaking a language where they understand. And notice, who is the Spirit falling on? The Spirit is not falling on people who have their lives together. The Holy Spirit is falling on people who are broken and who are messed up, people who are needy, people who, who don't have perfect theology and don't necessarily even have a perfectly pure thought life, but it's a people, listen guys, this is important, who are humble and hungry. The people the Holy Spirit falls on even today are humble. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. People who recognize that even on my best day, I am still in absolute need of Jesus Christ. that I have nothing apart from him. And people who are hungry. In other words, people who are not content with the amount of God they have in their lives and say, I want more. I want more. I, I want more of God's. Presence. These are the people that God pours His Spirit out on. And then if you read the rest of Acts, this changes everything. The work that Jesus began to do in the power of the Spirit, He then continues to do through the church in the power of the Spirit. Guys, I cannot tell you as a pastor and on behalf of the pastors how much we want to see this in our church. I cannot tell you how bad I want for you, for every man, woman, and child to be filled with and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Because at the end of the day, if the Spirit's not in this, I don't want to do it. This is, this is a, a bad hobby at best if the Spirit is not in this. Like, just go to the lake every weekend. It'd be way better than to be a part of a church that is not filled with the Holy Spirit. I promise yeah. you. Anything would be better than this. Like, We cannot be the church Jesus has called us to be apart from the Holy Spirit. We started the church, most of you know this, a little over eight years ago with just eight people. We had no big church backing us. We had no great marketing strategy. We didn't have a youth ministry or a kids ministry, which is like the one thing you have to have for anybody to join your church, right, these days. We didn't have a youth ministry. We didn't have a kids ministry. Uh, We didn't have really any money. And so I can promise you this, if anything good has happened in this church over the last eight years, I can promise you it is 100% the power of the Holy Spirit. Like, we have seen conversions. We have seen people physically and spiritually healed. We have seen demons cast out. We have planted a church in East Tennessee that is thriving and reaching people in different part of the country. Our ministry, you guys may not know this, our ministry has a global impact. We get emails and and, and people reach out to us from all over the world about what God is doing through this ministry. And I can promise you, this is not because we are clever or have good programs or charismatic leaders. It is all because of the Holy Spirit. And you have got to get this today. For some of you, if you can be honest, you are exhausted right now. You are running around with one bar on your spiritual battery. For others of you, your problem is not that you're burnt out, but you are bored out of your minds when it comes to the Christian life. And it's because you're living a life right now that you can absolutely 100% pull off apart from the Holy Spirit. And that's why you're bored. And, and, And your faith has gotten stale. You're apathetic. God feels like he's a million miles away. And you know, as you sit here even right now, you're like, there's got to be more to the Christian life than this. And if that is where you are, listen, in this series especially, I'm going to encourage you more than ever to press into the presence of God and to be open to whatever it is that he wants to do, even if it means that he's going to have to shake up and maybe even knock over some of the walls that you've built up or the categories that you've made yourself. And the words of our good friend Jonathan Dotson, the most satisfying life possible is one lived here in the Spirit. I just want to ask you this morning. I'm in front of a crowd. I'm in front of a crowd of individuals. Do you really believe what I just said? Like, do you believe one person? I'm glad that you do. Thank you for being vocal about it. You do too? Awesome. Um, yeah, for the others, do you believe honestly that true satisfaction and fulfillment is found when you live life right here filled with the Holy Spirit? who enables us, Dodson goes on to say, to be a whole person. In other words, you're going to be disintegrated apart from being filled with the Holy Spirit. You're going to begin to fall apart. Your life's going to begin to fall apart. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you are healthy relationally, physically, spiritually, emotionally. Do you really believe that today? This is how important this is. In Acts chapter 2, we see the Spirit filling people who are humble and hungry while the religious people leave empty. In Acts 2, there are some who experienced a mighty move of God. And then there were others in verse 13 who made fun of those who were experiencing a mighty move of God and said, they've had too much wine. They're drunk. And by the way, I I never noticed this until this past week. Who are the people who are making fun of those receiving the Spirit? It's not the pagans. It's God-fearing people. It's the religious people. You know why religious people make fun of a move of the Holy Spirit? Because religious people need a spirituality they can control and that they can logically explain. And as a result, they walk away in disbelief and unfulfilled, trying to live life in their own power. They must be drunk. That's the only logical explanation. Which, by the way, I love Peter's response in chapter 1, verse 15. He's like, how can we be drunk? It's only 9 a.m. Isn't that awesome? He's like, 10 a.m.? You might have an argument. Which is just a reminder, man, these disciples are still messed up. They still have issues to work through. They're not perfect. They're not the spiritually elite and yet, because they're humble and they're hungry, they are fully immersed in the Holy Spirit. They are taken all the way under, and as a result, their lives are completely transformed from the inside out. I really believe that this is what God wants to do in some of you in this next season. And I think you're ready for it. I think some of you really are. I think the majority of I think as a church, by and large, we're ready for this. Um, Back in June, I took my uh, kids swimming. There's a family in our church that lets us use their pool. And uh, I have three kids. This is my two oldest. Uh, And we took them swimming. And uh, Nora is 8. Wyatt is 7. And up until this day, the story I'm about to tell you, they couldn't really swim. They just kind of stayed in the shallow end and splashed around. And we were doing this, and, and Nora all of a sudden got bored and was just like, Dad, I want to jump off the diving board. I want to go to the deep end. And at first, I was like, you can't. No, we're not going to do that, babe. Like, she wanted to do it, no floaties, no life jacket, anything. And then she asked again, and I was like, okay, do I really want to be a parent driven by fear of faith? You know, so it's like, all right, yeah, let's do it. And so I go down to the deep end, and I'm kind of doggy paddling there, and she gets... On the edge of the diving board, it's this moment of truth. It's like, is she, she going to jump, or is she going to turn back around and be like, no, nah, I don't think so, I'm going to talk herself out of it. And she comes to the edge of the diving board, and she just goes for it. And she jumps, and poof, all the way under the water, and I'm watching, and here she comes right back up, and she does this big smile on her face, and then she just swims right over the ladder, like she'd been swimming her whole life. And then she did it again. And then again, and then again, and then my son Wyatt, he's down there in the shallow end, and he's watching. He's a little more timid than Nora. And all of a sudden, he's like, I want to do that. And so he comes around, same exact thing. Gets in the diving board, looks at me, looks back, looks at the water, looks back, boom, just jumps. Same thing, comes up out of the water, big smile on his face. And that's all they wanted to do, just keep jumping in, going down the slide. They all wanted to be in the deep end. They didn't want to go back to the shallow end after that. And, and before we left, we're drying them off, and Wyatt looks at me, and he said, Dad, this has been the best day of my life. And when he said that, God immediately grabbed my heart and said, like, that's what I want to do in the church. Some of you have been dipping your toe in the water, right? Just maybe even walking around the pool, logically even talking about how deep the water is and trying to define how many, what the levels are and all of this kind of stuff. Some of you literally have an image of you, like you're in the shallow end and you've been there for 30 years with your floaties on. And I don't say that to shame you, but I say that to say this, God is calling you out into deeper waters. He is calling you to get on the edge of the diving board and to leap in, to make the jump. And to know that when you do, listen guys, if you will take this risk, though some people will look at you and say, you must be drunk. How foolish are you? How illogical. Though you will hear that, Though some people will hate on this. If you will do it, you will. If you will trust Jesus, even when it doesn't make sense, you will experience in him the power and the peace and the joy and the life that you have been longing for. And so to that end, here's just what I want to do. I want to ask you, before even the band comes up, because I feel like when we do that, we all start getting distracted, putting our stuff up, but would you just close your eyes for a moment? And I want to just read this over you. This is from John chapter 7, and we'll end here today. And this will transition us us into a time of communion. Just let me read this over you. John chapter 7. This is Jesus talking in verse 37. Jesus says this. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. And so I just want to ask you this morning, again, I'm in front of a crowd, but a crowd of individuals. Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty for more? If so, then go to Jesus. And ask him to fill you with living waters right now. And just so you know, you may not feel anything. That's a misconception. We'll talk about that later. But if you want more of living water in you, go to Jesus. You know, at the cross, and this is what we'll celebrate as we partake of communion in just a moment. At the cross, Jesus had a spear shoved into his side, and from out of his side it said blood and water came flowing. His blood was flowing for the forgiveness of your sins, and the water was flowing as a symbolic reality that he wants to pour out living water on you through his Holy Spirit. Before Jesus died, you know what he said? I thirst. Jesus tastes a cosmic thirst that was reserved for us so that now you can have your thirst quenched by him through the Spirit. And so are you thirsty? I want to invite the band to come forward. I want to pray for us. And then we'll sing one final song. And I just ask that you would make this final song your prayer. As always, if you are here today and you are a believer, you're a follower of Jesus, we invite you to partake of communion. It's not closed to you. If you are here and you are not a Christian, you have not received the Spirit of God poured out for you through Jesus, then we would ask that you receive Jesus today. And if you want more information on that, you can come and talk to me. I'll be up here at the front. We'd love to help you with next steps. Let's just take a moment, and let's pray. And then we'll partake your communion, stand, and sing our final song. Father, I thank you for everyone who's here, and I just pray that right now that you would, through your Holy Spirit, do what I cannot do. I would imagine in a room that is this, has this many people or those watching online that there are some who have a heart of stone, who honestly, they cannot right now want to receive your Spirit, even if they tried We need right now, Father, your Holy Spirit to regenerate hearts, to open eyes, to create a thirst. Some of us are so filled on junk in this world, we don't have an appetite anymore for what we really need. God, please create an appetite right now in each person here for what we need the most. I pray that as the enemy is at work right now to plant seeds of doubts and and fears and what ifs and all of these different questions, I pray that you would just silence the condemnation, that you would silence the cynicism. And I pray that we would just receive you right now, Jesus, as you really are. And it's in Christ name that I pray and ask these things. Amen.